Happy Thursday, Dog Nation. Welcome to Cover 4 Live. I'm Brandon Adams. Happy to have Jeff Sintel, Connor Riley with us. Mike Griffith will be on the way. Mike is, as they say, on assignment. He'll be uh, in the uh, conversation before it's all said and done, and we'll look forward to having you as part of the conversation all night long, including Nelson Henry uh, Buckland, who's waiting with the Go Dogs there on Facebook. Great to see you. Bryce Dixon also checking in there as well. So we'll enjoy the chance to read some comments throughout our conversation here tonight. And frankly, what else will we talk about? A lot of this conversation focused on what's going to happen a few days from now, September the 4th, in Charlotte when Georgia takes on Clemson to begin the 2021 season. And I want to kind of begin tonight with kind of a big picture perspective on this. Obviously, I think we would all agree that the biggest win that Kirby Smart has gotten since becoming Georgia head coach came in the Rose Bowl of January 1st, 2018, at the end of the 2017 season. And the thrilling game that it was, one of the best games in recent Georgia history, one of the best games in Rose Bowl history, and it put Georgia in the national championship game. And maybe the biggest game after that might have been the game he played right before that, the 2017 SEC championship game. But if we focus in on, like, regular season contests, by the way, Kirby Smart's going in to his sixth season now, and a lot of those regular season contests are starting to pay, uh, kind of pile up a little bit. I think you're left to wonder if Georgia were to beat Clemson coming up two Saturdays from now, where it would rank among Kirby's biggest regular season wins. And I guess in order to figure that out, you got to figure out what the biggest one up until now is. So, Jeff, on that first part, let me start with you. Before we get into how big this Clemson game would be, what's the biggest regular season win Kirby Smart's gotten into this point? Hey, uh, hey guys, I, I think that was a, a very uh, straight down the middle. You striped it about 300 yards with teeing up that first one, Brandon. I think you Thank covered you. all the bases, um, maybe even 320. I know you've got that new driver you probably want to try sure. out. But um, my, my, answer is, my answer is probably going to be a little unorthodox because I'm looking for a game where Georgia looked dominating, where we were at that game and everybody thought, you know, this is the this is this is the zenith for wherever the program goes for here is pretty big. And for me, that answer is a win against the Florida Gators. I'm not playing to the host here, but I remember that first quarter when Georgia, I believe, was up 35 to nothing on Florida. It would eventually lead to the firing in the next week of the Florida coach. Yeah, that's when Georgia was was just whatever you want to say, steamrolling. Uh, eviscerating Florida's hopes and dreams, taking their heart, like finish him Mortal Kombat style, old 90, 2000 era video game type stuff. Georgia took Florida's heart in that game. And I I don't think there's ever been a regular season game where Georgia was so much better than a a decent program, a strong program in the regular season than they were on that afternoon. It's an interesting choice, and obviously a lot of the most memorable days for Kirby as Georgia coach have certainly come against Florida. Connor, what would be your biggest regular season win for Kirby up to this point? I would actually go with the 2019 road win over Auburn because it was a huge win that day. I believe two ranked teams, a very contested game. But I wanted to say the 2019 Florida win, you know, obviously I think Jake Fromm is maybe one of his finer games here at the University of Georgia. But that game was a big win because one, it sort of kept the train on the tracks for that 2020 uh, for the 2019 season. But that actually, I think pretty clearly showed this offense has major, major issues that day. I believe they had only three drives across the 50 yard line each time uh, throughout the entire game. And they actually ended up scoring touchdowns on all of those. And they needed touchdowns on all of those. 
though the defense was really good, but I actually think that Auburn game in, in particular, no big win, a road, a road win and a rivalry game at Jordan-Hare Stadium sort of show that this program really needs to start thinking about making changes. And obviously the LSU loss a few weeks later only hammered that point home farther. But I think that the struggles that they had in that Auburn game, specifically on the offensive side of the ball, I think very clearly sort of set the tone for part two of Kirby Smart's tenure as the Georgia head coach. A few folks in the comment session asking about Mike Griffith. He will be here in just a little bit. He's finishing up some work, to be honest with you. There were some Georgia player interviews today, and Mike's getting some stories up on that, and he'll be joining us here in a couple of minutes. Also, in looking at the comments while both of you are talking, Connor, I think the 2019 Auburn game is an interesting game there as well. Georgia also won the SEC East that day at Jordan-Hare Stadium, in addition to getting the win in the Deep South's oldest rivalry. I actually kind of agree with a lot of what I'm seeing from the audience. Now, if I made a case for Georgia, Florida, Jeff mentions 2017, I think I'd probably go 2018 or 2019 because both those games for Georgia in those years came at a time in which there was a lot of naysayers about the program, right? You know, 2018, the Florida game was right after the LSU game, which I think is still the single worst game that Georgia's played since Kirby Smart has been head coach. Just a total disaster in Baton Rouge and beating Florida by 19 points in 2018 helped you erase a lot of that. And that game, I think, still stands as one of the most important moments in Kirby Smart's coaching career. I think the 2019 game is like that to a degree. The Kentucky game where there had been a lot of frustration. Of course, there had been a lot of rain. The Florida win there also kind of makes people feel better about what had been a little bit of a negative atmosphere and attitude before that game took place. But I agree with what a lot of people are saying about what happened in Baton Rouge, excuse me, uh, South Bend in 2017. Now, you may say on the one hand, well, that Notre Dame team actually had not been very good. I think they were four and eight the year before that. But Georgia itself had only been eight and five. And it's so hard to remember this going back, you know, way back in the past like that. But after 2016, when Georgia's only eight and five and Mark Rick was at Miami and actually doing really well, I mean, there were a lot of like hot take type people, columnists, things like that, who were doing the, are you sure Georgia even made the right choice by hiring Kirby Smart? Do you wish you could have the old coach back? That was a little bit of a media thing back then, fairly or not, that you kind of heard. But Georgia pulling out that game late, and the game against Notre Dame was a very good game, not the most you know enjoyable offensive display by either team. But, man, every play really mattered there. Guys, what do you make about the fact that everything that would happen for Georgia in 2017 is probably all for naught, and it certainly doesn't lead to a college football playoff appearance in all likelihood if Georgia doesn't pull that win out against Notre Dame? Well, I actually think the 2017 game that might have been the bigger win was actually that, or I guess it was two weeks later, when they played Mississippi State, a Dan Mullen coach team yeah. that was ranked in the top 25. I think Georgia was only like a three-point favorite, which That's essentially right. that was Vegas saying, hey, we think these teams are pretty even, and Georgia just happens to have home field. And Georgia ran them out of the building from the first play, held them to three mm -hmm. points that day. And I think that game, as much as that Notre Dame game, because – I know it seems hard to believe Notre Dame was coming off a four and eight season. I don't know if people remember that at the time, but that, that Notre Dame Georgia game obviously takes on greater importance after the fact, but in the moment it was two teams ranked outside of the top 10. Whereas I think that Georgia Mississippi state game two weeks later really announced Georgia to a lot of people out there that, Hey, this isn't just a, you know, a, a team that is on the rise. This is a team that is capable of beating you very physically and beating the, even some of the best teams in the country. It certainly showed how much better Georgia was than it was in 2016, what they did that day in Starkville. Mike, if I were to ask you, what do you think? And you've been here since 2018, so so you know maybe your answer you know would 
kind of be somewhere in that era. But what do you think the biggest regular season win Kirby Smart's gotten thus far has been? Wow. Yeah, I was, I was, uh, I was alive. I was uh, actually covering a different team. So uh, I did see the the 2017 Bulldogs. And I remember telling you from the jump uh, that I thought they were the best team in the country after I saw them first time. I mean, that, that team was so doggone dominant. Uh, it was amazing. Um, you know, I think probably the 2018 win over Florida. Um, I think that was big. I think that was a moment uh, for, for Jake Fromm. I mean, from, you know, everything I've been told in the whole, I hate to dig it back up, but Jake Fromm had to get it done or, or they were going to pull, they were going to take the keys from him. And Justin Fields was, was going in if he doesn't win that game. And, and Jake played incredibly well. Uh, it catapulted Georgia. Uh, into the 2018 SEC championship game. I mean, those wins in 2017 were great, but I kind of think the win over Oklahoma was was probably the, the biggest win of that season. All those regular season wins were big, none bigger than the other. But I think the fact that Georgia was able to go back to the SEC championship game and repeat, you know, to me, that was the torch being passed from Florida to Georgia like, yeah, 2017 wasn't a fluke. Like, this Georgia team is that much better than Florida, and they proved that in 2018. And, of course, they proved it again in 2019, uh, you know, winning the SEC East three straight times. So I think that game, after losing to LSU the way they did, as you pointed out, uh, getting smoked down there in Baton Rouge, just beat on the line of scrimmage, outcoached, beating every facet of the game, for them to come off that bye week and, and beat Florida the manner that they did I thought that was Georgia really reestablishing itself as the powerhouse in the SEC East. Yeah, I think you can make a really strong case for that uh, Florida game in 2018 uh, there for sure. So with all that said, Florida in 2018, you know, the really the couple of Florida wins, Notre Dame in 2017 or what happened against Auburn in 2019. Uh, Jeff, is there any doubt in your mind that – if George were to beat Clemson next Saturday, the only win that, and I may even include the SEC championship in this, by the way, for 2017, but the only win that in any way eclipses that for Kirby Smart would certainly be Oklahoma and maybe can make a case for Auburn there in 2017 because obviously you don't get to the Rose Bowl if you don't win that game. And that was obviously a revenge game there too. But certainly nothing in the regular season would rival what Georgia has a chance to do next Saturday. And the way it just – it just changes the conversation for me around Georgia so much. I mean, nothing in the regular season for this point in time after five years on the job for Kirby Smart would rival or certainly not eclipse what he has a chance to do next Saturday. Right, Jeff? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think I'm I'm, kind of going through my mental Rolodex here, and I believe that Georgia, should they beat – should they beat Clemson uh, next Saturday, then – I think that Georgia only owns two wins in the Kirby Smart era over a top five team, and those were both of those in 2017 when you have Auburn at number four. I think Oklahoma was number two or three that year. Um, So Clemson, I think, coming in, we all know where they'll be ranked at the top five opponent. Um, And I think think what we do is kind of chroniclers or historians of this football team and these games is you got to look to a win that, that sets a tone or rights are wrong or reverses a course. I think, I think Mike verbalized that really well about LSU and fields and, you know, what Georgia did in 2018. And, and I think this is what, this is what the win would do is it would, it would kind of make people wonder if, you know, Kirby smarts, I think seventh year, sixth season or whatever, 
that he's kind of figured out what Dabo Sweeney and Clemson had to figure out. Remember when Clemsoning was a verb? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think I think this would be a way, and we've all heard it. Everybody on Twitter and every keyboard warrior brings up the term Georgieing right now as well. But I think I think a Georgia victory against Clemson, I think it would become, in my book, I think it would become the biggest regular season win. The only other wins notwithstanding would be the ones against Auburn and Oklahoma in 2017. You know, Connor, I think Jeff actually brings a pretty good point there, that there was a time, if you want to go back years ago, that Clemsoning was a thing, that when you thought about Clemson in a big game, you thought about a team that was going to let it slip away and would be this close to having something great happen for them and it ultimately wouldn't occur. Well, in the years since then, Clemson, for the most part, has completely erased that as any kind of narrative or talking point. And in terms of national reputation, image on the national stage, I mean, that is what Georgia's playing for on Saturday or next Saturday. They just, to me, unlock an entirely different conversation if Georgia wins the game. And as much as it pains me to admit this, I think it's honestly true that if Georgia loses the game, then to me it just feels like a replication of the same conversation that's been ongoing for years. Yeah, they're both sort of playing against a narrative, I think, right now. Obviously, we know Georgia's it doesn't need to be rehashed here. You know, they can't get it done against the quote-unquote big boys, LSU and Alabama uh, in, in recent seasons. But in the last couple of times, Clemson has been in a really get, a big spot against teams with at least comparable talent. I don't include Notre Dame in there because they have not recruited on the same level. They got blown up by LSU in the national title game. They lost to Ohio State pretty embarrassingly in the college football playoff game a season ago. Georgia is on par talent-wise with those two teams. Now, is is JT Daniels going to play as well as Justin Fields and Joe Burrow did in those two games? That remains to be seen. But if Georgia goes out and beats Clemson and even beats them convincingly, like in the way we have seen in recent years, I think there's a narrative that's going to start to form against Clemson of hey, well, they just maybe they, maybe there's something going on there right now to where they just can't quite you know hang with those teams that somehow still out-recruit them because as well as Clemson has recruited, Georgia is still, I think, a tier above them, even as spectacular as that 2020 signing class was for the Tigers. It is funny, Mike. You know, the last time we saw a pre uh, a week one game with teams rated as highly as Georgia and Clemson are, you probably have to go back to a few years ago when it was Alabama and Florida State. And at the time, you know, people forget this because it's been such a long time ago, or at least a lot has happened since then. But Florida State was coming off a national championship in 2013. They made the playoff in 2014. They felt like a worthy opponent for Alabama – and yet Alabama, I know that uh, DeAndre Francois got hurt. So that's a, a little bit of a, you know, an, I guess an addendum to that conversation. But it felt like you know, the way in which they played Alabama really exposed a lot. I mean, there is a chance that the loser of this game, whether it's Georgia or Clemson, that you invite a pretty unpleasant conversation really for either side. And, you know, if it is Clemson that loses this game, all of a sudden a lot of folks will, will be asking, where's Travis Etienne? Where's Trevor Lawrence? Where's you know, some of the great names that have done great things in the past for Clemson that you know, this idea that Clemson's easily going to just shake off a loss and dust themselves up and pick themselves right back up if they lose the game. Boy, recent history suggests it's not necessarily that easy for a loser of a big week one game like this, right? Well, it's true. That's true, Brandon. But if you look at Clemson's schedule, I don't know who's going to be favored to be within 30 points of them for a while. I mean, they really – they have both these teams have very – uh, friendly schedules the remainder of September. Um, as for the narrative, you know, it, it's, you know, I do think there are people saying that, but they're not really people that have really dug deep into it. I mean, Clemson's won 10 straight regular season games against SEC teams going back to 2014. Yeah. And, and they went two and two against Alabama in the playoff. They've held their own. And yeah, yeah Burrow, Joe Burrow smoked him, but that was probably the, 
the, the maybe the greatest college football team of the modern era. I mean, it, so many explosive weapons offensively and, and such a tremendous defensive coordinator there and, and players there as well. Uh, as far as Georgia and Kirby, you know, it's, people are really remiss. I, I know it's hard to get over those three losses to Alabama, but if you take those three losses out, and you can't do that, but, but Kirby is 4-0 against top 10 teams in non-conference games. He hasn't lost to a big-time non-conference opponent. Uh, and then in terms of the SEC, he's 6-3 and three against top 10 SEC teams, not named Alabama. So, you know, Kirby's done a really nice job uh, winning big games, uh, taking care of business. There's been a couple stumbles, I think, if there's a complaint with Kirby uh, other than not beating Alabama, it's that he's lost to some games he shouldn't lose. You're not supposed to lose to Vanderbilt. I don't. I don't care that it was 2016. You're. You're not supposed to lose at home uh, to an unranked South Carolina team as they did in 2019. That's. That's not supposed to happen. So he's had a couple of those stumbles, but I think you make a fair point that this game will go a long way toward determining the narrative for Georgia early. You know, oh geez, Georgia's not ready yet. The good news is it'll be temporary. Uh, Georgia will have plenty of time to right their ship and still win the SEC. Clemson will have plenty of time to beat ACC opponents by 30 or 40 points and, and right the ship in uh, Dabbleville. Um, I think it's just an exciting exhibition that's going to give us a lot to chew on early. And and speaking of chewing, uh, there's there's Peaches, the dog, stealing the show there, Brandon. I'm- it is National Dog Day. My daughter, who's big into dogs, has let me know it is National Dog Day today. So, Jeff, paying off in the holiday with the uh, dog on the screen there, which is great to see. So, Mike brings up a couple things I want to address. And we got a lot of topics to talk about, so I don't want to stay too long on this. But Mike brings up a couple of things that I think are pretty important here. First of all, the loss to South Carolina in 2019, as bad as that was, to me – that's not the biggest cloud that hangs over Georgia, a game like that, and, and losing a game that you should win. Y'all, here's the thing that, that Georgia's playing for in 2021. This is a program that has been too good since 2017. Forget 2016, because that was kind of a, you know, a foundational year for the program. But since Georgia got things humming in 2017, y'all, they get blown out once a year. You can't get blown out if you're a team that's as talented as Georgia, a team that thinks of itself as a, as a championship-type team, got absolutely boat raced at Auburn 2017 awful game in LSU 2018 was even worse SEC championship 2019 against LSU stands as an example of that second half pull away by uh, Alabama a year ago kind of stands as that there too I mean that's the thing that I have to admit listen I'm a huge Georgia partisan I'm I'm rooting hard for Georgia to win the game on Saturday I'm going to speak with emotion on this there's a part of me that that can't be 100% sure that Georgia's going to be in this game for the full 60 minutes because once a year, the last few years, they haven't been in a game for the full 60 minutes. And that's absolutely a concern. And, you know, you look at that Clemson defensive line and you look at the questions among Georgia's offensive line. If Clemson's offensive defensive line is as good as we think it is and DJ Uyunglele lives up to the hype and is sharp, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the way this plays out for Georgia. I know that, you know, talent-wise, these two teams are pretty equal, but, you know, you could make the case that Georgia in some games in recent years, even last year, that Florida game, you know, team-wise, I know you can bring up the injuries and whatnot. Georgia still had plenty of talent out there that that day. And while I know the final score was 44-28, to 28, 
Florida thoroughly outplayed Georgia in that game. And so I think, B.A., you bring up a great point there of, yeah, they're being concerned of Clemson is a team that is certainly capable of beating any team in the country. And we saw them do it to Alabama a few years ago in the national title game. So I think that's something that is certainly on the table week one against Clemson. Jeff, I'll let you respond. Let me read Ryan Mooney here on our Facebook comment section. It says, B.A., it is a concern, but let's please think positive. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's just the best left unsaid for right now. Maybe Ryan's right. Jeff, jumping on the conversation, though. Yeah, I, I guess well, – I well, you know, Mike's just joining us from uh, the Zoom meeting, Zoom Central, coming out of the, the foxhole a little bit. I, I'm going to tell you this. If if Adam Anderson um, – um, if Adam Anderson – makes good on the proclamation he made today during the during the press briefing and Brennan you're gonna like this people were asking him about the UGA sack record they were asking about double digit sacks well double a man he just took it all the way up to 20 sacks 20 sacks so I mean Brennan they really say that I saw somebody in the comment section say something about 20 sacks a moment ago I didn't know what they were talking about did uh, double a really bring that up today he said yeah. Aziz is Aziz said is he if you remember at Aziz's pro day, he said Adam Anderson was going to get 10 sacks. Adam today said, yeah, I know Aziz said 10, but my goal is 20 because why him. limit yourself to something that small? I hear you, brother. Good for him. That's awesome to hear right there. So, so Brandon, if, I mean, if, if, if Adam Anderson is going to get 20 sacks, I mean, that's going to be at least three against Clemson, right? What do you think? Oh, yeah. Three, maybe? Three and yeah, a half? If Adam Anderson's on his way to a 20-sack season, then I'm certainly a lot less worried about the Clemson game than maybe I otherwise would have been before that. All right, two more quick things on this. And, and Mike, I'll start with you on this because it goes back to something you said a moment ago. This is one of the things that I've always felt like the Clemson game for Georgia and really for both sides is bigger than sometimes we let on because the comparison between the two teams is going to extend beyond the, just the game on September 4th. The Mike talks about the easy schedule that Clemson – plays after that it's 100 percent true if we're talking about two teams at the end of the year who are 12 and one georgia an sec runner-up and a head-to-head win versus clemson clemson a head-to-head loss versus georgia but they are acc champions mike the right thing to do at that point in time is to put georgia in the playoff over clemson otherwise what was the point of even playing the game but i don't trust the committee to necessarily do that do you think a 12 and one SEC runner-up Georgia, victory in hand versus Clemson, makes the playoff over Clemson if Clemson runs the table and wins the ACC? Well, I don't I don't think I can definitively say that without knowing the circumstance, uh, who Georgia's loss was to. I mean, is it a 12-1 and Georgia team with a loss to – Alabama in uh, the SEC championship. To Alabama in the – it, Yeah, it's 12-1, and you lost the SEC championship. Yeah. You know, I, I'll be honest. Uh, I, I'm with you. I don't trust the committee. Um, I think I don't we've trust seen, them to do that. I think we've seen a, a change from the year that Alabama was one of the four best without even playing in their league championship game. I think the mentality's changed. I I think Kirk Herbstreet had it right in 2018 when he said that politics changed the college football playoff. I think now, especially, I think we have to be aware of of how the waters have been muddied. Um, I don't think there's a whole lot of love for the SEC. I think this alliance goes further than just talk. I think there's a psychological element to it that when that committee meets, uh, the SEC is not going to have a whole lot of friends in that room. So I think the Georgia Bulldogs have to win the SEC championship game to go to the playoff, regardless of whether they beat Clemson or lose to Clemson. Um, I think if they win the SEC, they go to the playoff. I think if they don't, then they don't go to the playoff. And as far as, you know, even though they beat them head to head, I mean, my goodness, I watched uh, Notre Dame lose 34 to 10 
and still get in the playoff ahead of a good uh, Cincinnati team that was undefeated and the Texas A&M team that's only loss was to the number one team in the country two months before. So I think the politics dictate that Georgia wins the SEC. I think this game's importance, though, more so than the playoff ramifications, is the level of buy-in. You know, when you win a game like that, there's a lot of confidence in the clubhouse. Uh, I think there it increases the level of buy-in. I think the players, uh, certainly the fan base, I think the whole mood of the team changes if you beat a team like Clemson. If you lose, you know, we're all going to be sitting back going, okay, you beat UAB, so what? Okay, you beat Charleston. We're really not – Georgia's really not going to have a chance to reassert themselves against a, a team that I guess I would say we respect and, until probably Florida, which I, I'm not even sure – you know, who their quarterback is at this stage, um, truly. So, which by the way, I called that. We can go back and find the tape over and over again. Connor's rolling his eyes because he knows it's true. I've been talking about Anthony Richardson all summer long. Sorry to cut you off, Mike. You're also not the only one here that's been talking about him. No, no, right. I want to make one more point too, because I have seen a lot of the Clemson chatter and, you know, they, they, you know, the Clemson fans have kind of gone into hiding. I see a lot of fake names. I don't see real names talking trash for Clemson right now. They've suddenly gotten very, very quiet. Believe me, I heard from every Clemson fan in the fan base after they upset Alabama uh, a couple few years ago. And and I'm one of the biggest Dabo Sweeney fans there is. I know Dabo from years in Alabama. I'm a huge proponent of Dabo and what he's done at Clemson, and yet and still I take this abuse. But let's remember Desmond Ritter. Uh, probably one of the most mobile quarter, truly mobile. Uh, DJU is not Desmond Ritter mobile. The Clemson fans are disillusioned if they think this is a guy that's going to run uh, for 70 yards in any football game, much less evade this Georgia pass rush. Desmond Ritter was sacked nine times in a game that Cincinnati led throughout. If Clemson falls behind, they're going to find out just how immobile DJU is and just how devastating the Georgia front seven is. Jeff, jump in here. It's all right. All right, let's go. Let's, I'm going to talk about – this is a rubber meets the road take for you, Mike, right here, and everybody jump in here. Georgia beats Clemson convincingly on September the 4th. Are they the number one team in the country? No, they should be. They, they should be. be. They won't be. They get my vote. Of course not, they <laughs> Because Alabama is still Alabama, and they play, I believe, a top 15-ranked Miami team that I think they're going to beat pretty convincingly that day. And until Georgia beats Alabama, fairly or not, uh, I think there's still going to be some healthy skepticism that Georgia is, in fact, better than Alabama. So just to be clear here, Connor, if you had a vote for number one team in the country, Bama beats Miami, Georgia beats Clemson, you're going to vote Alabama number one over Georgia in that situation? You're not listening to what I was saying. I said Alabama is still going to be the number one team. Oh, I, I agree would, with that. I would say, based on the merits of the 2021 season, which is something that sometimes get lost, certainly gets lost. You look at the way teams are voted on in preseason polls anyway. I think based on resume alone, don't you have to include Georgia as the number one team in the country? They have the best win at that point in terms of ranking-wise, unless I guess uh, 
Ohio State loses to whoever they lose to week one or Oklahoma loses to whoever Oklahoma. Or if Tulane beats Oklahoma week one, there right. you go. That's a better win. And so on that basis, I would put Tulane as the number one team in the country. <laughs> but I don't think it's Ooh. hard to rank Georgia number one in that situation. No, it's Frankly, not. there aren't very many moments in college football on a week-to-week basis where you have a chance for a bigger win than what Georgia gets a chance to have, whether it be what Clemson is right now, what they have been every year since 2015. That is a big old trophy to put on the wall right there. It absolutely is. And I mean, I know Jeff's the recruiting guy here, but you look at the way Clemson and, and Georgia have recruited head to head in recent years. I think that's a big reason why I think Kirby and Dabo want this game to be played and played more regularly. I think they play six times over the next 12 years. If Kirby's able to get a little momentum early in this rivalry and, and get things going, that's going to make recruiting battles for guys like Jamari Sawyer, a battle that they've won, or guys like Andrew Booth a guy that they've lost a bit against yeah. Andre Green Jr., a guy in this 2022 cycle. I know Jeff can lay out all the prospects that will be there next week, but it's going to be a packed house. And I think the recruiting aspect to this game, as often as Georgia and Clemson go head-to-head, is certainly something to think about. Let's change topics just to stay on the same, same conversation, but let's just put a different graphic on the screen for a second. Uh, you know, Mike, <laughs> I've been curious because, I mean – you know, certainly looking at some of the content you put out as of late, it seems like you're pretty confident in Georgia's chances of beating Clemson. I, I'm someone who obviously wants that to take place. I certainly not, you know, I guess I'm certainly not of the belief that Georgia loses, but I, I don't know that I can emphatically pound my fist on the table and say this is definitely a game that Georgia's going to win. So as the Internet meme goes, change my mind. Well, I mean, this is a game that Georgia should win. Um, you know, if you look at but why uh, is that? Well, they have the more experienced quarterback, and, and in big games like this, uh, typically mistakes and the team with the cleaner game wins. And uh, DJU is a – listen, this is a really talented kid. I had a chance to – you guys know I was out in California and went to his high school a couple of times, talked with his head coach for a couple of hours <clears throat> and his defensive coordinator and the modern-day coaches that played him five times over three years. So – uh, and then I talked with DJ himself uh, in Charlotte and then talked with his dad a couple times on the phone. I, I think I have a, a pretty good read on DJU. I think this is a special guy we're going to see in the NFL as a prolific passer. But this is his first start in front of a big-time stadium atmosphere. Let's remember that last year we had COVID-controlled crowds, and you're talking about 75,000 and a pass rush that he's never seen. Now, JT has seen it. Uh, much to his chagrin at Southern Cal, poor snaps, uh, cruddy offensive line, uh, big moments for a kid who should have been in his senior year playing in his backyard for USC, a team that that Connor probably holds in higher regard than anybody uh, this side of the Mississippi, even though it's been 15 years since they've been truly relevant. But the fact is that the program and the stature is such that JT felt the pressure his entire freshman year, literally – and figuratively. And then even last year coming in, having to learn that, hey, man, you can't hold that ball. That DN's getting to you a second faster, and they're going to plant you. And he did get drilled 10 sacks in four games. Uh, he was his own worst enemy. So here's a guy in JT going into his fourth year at the college level who's been there and done it, big-time crowd, a full offseason behind him, uh, with these receivers versus DJ, who's beat Boston College, and that's pretty good, I guess, uh, and and put up some yardage against a, a Notre Dame defense that 
last seen was was getting run out of the stadium by the number one quarterback in the draft, 34 to 10. Uh, so I, I like him for that reason. One, here's two. Uh, Georgia and Clemson both are strong on the defensive front. I think we both know they're going to have an advantage. So which team is more likely to achieve run balance? The team that finished 11th in the ACC last year and lost a first-round running back? Or this Georgia team that features a guy in Kendall Milton uh, who's quickly evolving, uh, in the words of one of his teammates, into the next Nick Chubb? Listen, that's, that's pretty big words there. But the performance is so one, the quarterback experience, two, the likelihood that Georgia can achieve balance and not be one dimensional like Clemson will be. Because, by the way, Georgia has led the nation in run defense the last two years. And three, the special teams and the must champ intangible. They've got a coach on their staff that's been having nightmares about this Clemson program for four years, has scouted them up and down and knows all their personnel. So quarterback. Ability to have a more balanced game, too, and the intangibles of better special teams and the Will Muschamp factor. By the way, Steve Hyland in the comment section, shout out to you for giving Long Drink a Strong, the black can, a shout out there as well. Love to uh, see that there, too. Connor, what do you make of what Mike says there? I mean, I'll push back on the DJ Uyunglele stuff a little bit there. I give a lot of credits to him going on the road in his second career start against the Notre Dame team that still made the college football playoff a year ago and, and took that Notre Dame team to overtime in a spot I think a lot of kids would have struggled. He is a five-star prospect in every bit of the word. And while, sure, he might not move as quickly as Desmond Ritter, he had a, a, a 30-yard rushing touchdown against Boston College last year, and he's 6'5", 250 pounds. He weighs more than Adam Anderson does. He's not an easy dude to take down. And, and so I, I think that's certainly something to – what's the chuckle there for? I just I, I think, are you suggesting that Adam Anderson can't bring him down? I think it's going to be a challenge. DJ Uyunglele is a big dude, and I and again, Adam Anderson is a really good player. He's going to make an impact in this game, but I'm not giving it some foregone conclusion that DJ Uyunglele can't come out and play really well in this game. Yeah, Jeff. Here's my problem with you know disregarding Uyunglele. You know, the last two Clemson quarterbacks have been like all time greats, right? Like you know. Sean Watson among the best of my lifetime and Trevor Lawrence was the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. And, you know, that doesn't mean that DJ follows up on all of that, but man, when you look at a guy in a Clemson starting quarterback uniform, you know, I'm left to assume that he must be similar to what Clemson starting quarterbacks have been going back over the course of the last, you know, five years. And um, if JT Daniels does go out and play him next Saturday, Boy, that to me speaks of the kind of year that JT Daniels is going to have because my assumption is Uyunglele is going to have a very good year because Clemson quarterbacks are just always good. And there's no certainly credentialed reason why DJ shouldn't follow in those footsteps. So, uh, I mean, obviously Georgia fans love what Mike said a moment ago, but I can't say it just because Georgia fans love to hear it. I mean, this is a challenge, right? This is it is very hard for JT Daniels to outplay DJ Uyunglele next Saturday, just given the track record for success for Clemson quarterbacks. The fact that maybe DJ hasn't been in this spot a ton, boy, Clemson seems to have been, and their quarterbacks typically show up there for whatever reason. Wow, I think I think um, Mike maybe paid off Peaches with some dog biscuits or something. Peaches is not accepting any JT Daniels slander on this cover four part, <laughs> part of our broadcast. Here's a pushback. Brennan, I think uh, what you said there uh, in mid-thought 
I agree with almost everything you said. I, if you remember those old timey AJC matchups where you have all the check boxes and you go oh, yeah. all the way down the list between Love quarterbacks, those. running backs, wide receivers. Love I can't those. give JT Daniels the check there. I can't. Um, I think Taj Boyd might be his floor for his career as a, as a Clemson quarterback. I think DJ Ungale is going to be that good. Remember, five-star quarterback, number one quarterback in the land. Georgia wanted him. He's going to be hard to get on the ground. Remember, this guy threw a 95, 94-mile-an-hour fastball when he was in high school. Um, and I think that – I think the fear factor or the um, – what have you done in a big spot in that terms of pressure – Pressure is a privilege, whatever you want to say. I think that Notre Dame spot, spot start right there is, is probably as big as anything that JT Daniels has seen so far in his career as well because I think, I think, I think the time that J, JT got some of those similar games when he was in the mighty Pac-12, sorry, Connor, um, I think there wasn't as much riding on USC football as it was riding on Clemson football at the time. I think, I think DJ Ungle is going to be good. Now, one thing I will say is – I think he's going to have a good year because he plays in that conference in the Clemson offense with all the Clemson personnel around him. I don't know if, if he's a big game quarterback, if he's one of those, you know, franchise top five quarterbacks, I bet the NFL is going to pick him top 10 because he clicks off all those Josh Allen type measurables. Um, but uh, this guy's going to be hard to get on the ground. He's already been tested. He's going to be confident. Clemson scheme is going to allow him to get comfortable. Um, but George is going to send some buzz saws at him and, I just think the quarterback matchup, we always say it. How many times have we said this already? Keep the dude upright and let's see which guy can get on the on the surgical table and cut up the other defense. I think it's going to be a well-played game for the quarterbacks when they have the time to throw. And I tell you what, DJ running the ship. And I, I would say this, what Mike always says, the, the jet plane for, for JT Daniels. I tell you what, um, maybe DJ Ungale is in a Blackhawk helicopter because that's looking pretty good too, the way he's – where they're going to get up and down that field. Clips is going to be a good team offensively, and DJ is going to be a big reason why on Saturday. Mike, first of all, I like the old-school Detroit Tigers. I had meant to tell you that earlier. Second is this, and this is kind of paying off the topic, what do you think Georgia's biggest concern is? You just gave me some, you know, uh, certainly strongly worded beliefs and where Georgia is set up well against Clemson. What do you think the biggest concern is for UG against Clemson next Saturday? Unproven cornerbacks against an underrated Clemson receiving core. I, I think Jeff made a good point. I, I, I would, uh, I guess, push back is the word tonight. I, I don't think there's going to be anything comfortable about this game. I don't think their offensive line is going to protect him to the point where he's comfortable. I think you're going to see a lot of very quick throws, planned uh, bootlegs and rollouts. Uh, they can't block Georgia's front seven. The Clemson offensive line is, uh, is a real problem for the Tigers. And it's a scary problem for the Tigers. Uh, even worse, I, I think the Georgia offensive line is better than the Clemson offensive line. Again, guys, I, I, I can't – I can shout it from a rooftop. They were 11th in the ACC. And you know it's hard to be 11th in the ACC in rushing. You could have some teams – Alabama could have made uh, Najee Harris run backwards and they would have finished higher than 11th in the ACC in rushing. I mean, that is just such a, a terrible, horrible number – when you consider that they had the best quarterback in college football, uh, according to the NFL, and a first-round draft pick. I mean, I, I don't even know if Clemson had ever finished 11th. In, to be 11th in the ACC in anything in football, uh, there, there's you know expletives for that that would you know help corn grow in a field. It's absolute horse crap. Uh, so this offensive line is just terrible. And if you think that DJ is going to be comfortable, now the concern is – uh, this is a very unproven, untested 
Georgia's secondary. Now, DK, Darian Kendrick, this is a guy Clemson knows well. I think this is a guy they know they can match up with and, and beat. Um, I think there's questions at the other corner. Ever since we heard that Jalen Kimber missed a scrimmage with a shoulder, I'm not sure he's the starter. Uh, Keely Ringo's claim to fame in scrimmages uh, has been getting beat uh, by Jermaine Burton on a 50-yard touchdown. Um, I don't know enough about uh, Amir Speed's consistency. Um, I think he's had a good offseason, but you know this is a guy that's in his what fourth or fifth year, and you know maybe making his first start. So, and then the star position, uh, you know Latavius Brainy's another one of these guys that stuck around and you know ate a lot of free food and wore gear and didn't really do much before the Peach Bowl. So you got a lot of unproven, untested guys against the Clemson receiving core that I think is underrated. I know everybody's talking about Justin Ross, but I remember talking with some folks over there in that Clemson family that I know really well last winter, and they told me, and I, I haven't talked to them since. Things The line goes cold before these kind of games with friends, but they told me this receiving core is going to be something really special for Clemson. So that's the concern, B.A. Can this secondary give you any kind of coverage, any kind of time for that pass rush to get there? I think back to the Alabama game, first half, First play, Aziz lands on Mac, interception, uh, Georgia beating Alabama at halftime with Stetson Bennett, right? Can they get to DJU early before he can get to them with his receivers? Connor, what do you think the biggest concern is for Georgia against Clemson? It's Georgia's offensive line. This Clemson defensive line is really talented and really good. And I think Georgia may be able to run the ball a little bit better than they are able to throw the ball. And, and to Mike's point, you know, I absolutely agree that it, whichever team falls behind first in this game, if Georgia or Clemson are able to get out to, say, a double-digit lead early in this game, that's going to make things very difficult for either team because I think they are very similarly built at this point. I think this Clemson defensive line, if you give them an opportunity, if you find yourself in obvious passing down situations, I quite frankly don't feel good enough about the Georgia offensive line at this point in time to say that they're going to hold up, especially when you consider how they played, I think, to end last season. And so with this Clemson defensive line, which could very well be one of the few teams in the country that can actually go out and say, hey, we have a better defensive line or front seven than what Georgia has. I think that has to be the number one concern there because if you can't block, it, it, it doesn't matter really what JT Daniels is able to do if he's got a guy like Brian Brzee or Miles Murphy in his lap two seconds after the ball is snapped. Jeff, real quick, because I want to get a couple a couple other topics in here. What uh, do you think the biggest concern is? Yeah, so there's a lot of things going on. I see it a lot of in the comments section. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and level set here. I don't think this is a game where Clemson's deficient here versus Georgia's deficient there or those guys aren't as good. Um, I can say for a man that everybody that Clemson is going to feature in that ball game is somebody Georgia wanted. Everybody talks about this Clemson offensive line like like it's some leaky sieve. I think I, I, I look across that Clemson offensive line, and there were a lot of dudes that Sam Pittman wanted to have on that roster uh, for the Georgia roster. So they were already stamped grade A wall of Georgia type available. I think this is a measure of who's going to come up with the better football. It's going to be who's going to play great football the longer, the longest. I dug up this stat about two weeks ago. I still believe it's true. Clemson will have all 12 starters from its defense a year ago on the field um, on Saturday in Charlotte. Just happens that one of those is going to be Darion Kendrick for the Georgia Bulldogs. The other 10 starters on their defense are all going to be back. So, you know, what did Clemson need to, what did Clemson need to do better? I think if you look at what they did last year, they kind of got, got hit up a lot throwing the ball through the air. I think those are some of those 
those AC sat, ACC stats coming at you. I think the biggest thing that, that should concern Georgia fans heading into this game, and I think Connor mentioned it before, I mean, Tate Routledge is going to be a great offensive lineman. That might be his first start. You've got Justin Schaefer on the field. Maybe you've got Cedric Von Prahn Granger. I'm going to tell you this, and I'm going to say it 19 times so I'm blue in the face. Uh, Damone Caphart, Miles Murphy, and Brian Brzee are some straight-up dudes, and they're going to be tough to block consistently all night long in Charlotte. That's why Georgia's going to have to play a lot of quick game and get the ball out and try to move the ball up the field that way. Jeff didn't even mention Xavier Thomas, who was the number three overall Correct. prospect in the 2018 yeah. recruiting cycle behind Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. Like, that's how loaded this Clemson front is. It's certainly going to be a challenge for sure. Go ahead. Who? Somebody jump in there. And he, did, and he didn't play last year. I think he missed all the right. season with a little bit yeah. of COVID, but a little bit of weight loss, and then a little bit of an injury. I mean, remember, that guy was just as highly rated and regarded almost as uh, Nolan Smith was when he came out a year later. So Mike. wait a minute. I want, I want to be clear on something. So your guy, the, the, so the same team that got boat raced at Ohio State's coming back on defense. Got it. Do you think this Georgia team is going to be as good as Ohio State was offensively last year? I think Clearly. they've got the potential to be. I think they've got, Peaches, Peaches certainly does. Uh, I'm hearing some serious Georgia Bulldog talk from Pete. I love I like it. that. I like I it as well. It, it, it's almost like the dog like is is trying to weigh in on this. She probably makes more sense than we do tonight. I no, it's just kidding. But but I do think that uh, that Georgia has an explosive offense. Again, I, I think Kendall Milton is a guy that that could be a household name by Sunday. I think that Brock Bowers is a guy. Uh, that people probably don't know, aren't talking enough about. We still talk about him like he's a recruit. He's not. He's a living, breathing, huge part of this offense. Jermaine Burton, you know, uh, you know, provided that he's healthy on this night. Uh, when he's good, he's he's dynamic. He's absolutely dynamic. And you know, Marcus Rosemi, Jack Saint, uh, and Adani Mitchell. Uh, these are guys. Uh, Lad, listen, don't be surprised if Lad McConkey doesn't have three or four or five catches. You know, we haven't even talked about Kenny McIntosh, who was the number two kick returner in the country uh, when he went down with an injury halfway through last year. I mean, Georgia has a lot of dudes and a lot of playmakers. Uh, and I think that, you know, that Ohio State team, I mean, you know, they weren't even in a game against Alabama. I mean, at least Stetson Bennett beat him for a half. Fields was never even in a game with Ohio State. And I'd say he had just as much talent around him as Georgia, right? So if we're playing transitive properties, I, I, the fact that everybody's back tells you that there's continuity. And there's often something to be said for that. But if everybody that's back is 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 less than stellar, and I think their front is very good, I, I don't know how good their secondary is. I've got questions. So let's do a couple things here kind of quick here for a moment. Mike certainly gave his idea for – guys that could break out mention a couple names on offense it seems like if Georgia don't win this game against Clemson on Monday on Dog Nation Daily we're talking about some star turns right we're talking about some guys who do introduce themselves do become household names and you know Connor you and I were talking before the show a little bit and I remember back I talked about this on my show this morning 2017 against Notre Dame a game that I've already mentioned on the show that's when I first became aware of just how good Roquan Smith was the stats weren't eye-popping but he was just everywhere that Wimbush the Irish quarterback was that night and you just realized he was a special player it seems like Georgia doesn't win this game next Saturday without somebody really introducing themselves in a in a big way on that field in Charlotte who are you most likely to believe that will be Jeff do I have to say an offensive player here 
Am I allowed no, to go defense or do I have to go offense? No, say defense if you want to. Because I think defense is a great way to go for this. I actually, it's got to be Jermaine Burton. I mean, I know he had the big game last year against Mississippi State. Jermaine, if Georgia, if Georgia's going to win this game, Jermaine Burton needs to be a guy that we are absolutely talking about on Sunday and Monday morning. Uh, he's certainly, I think, got the talent to do so. He was obviously a little banged up during practice, during fall camp for Georgia, but he's a guy that I think Georgia really needs to emerge as the number one ride receiver. And if he can do that against Clemson, I think that's going to be huge for this entire Georgia offense. Yeah, I mean, Mike, I thought it was really cool that the coaches or the SIDs that fill out the ballots for the coaches, whoever it is, I mean, on the basis of a relatively you know small sample size for Burton a year ago because he was only a freshman, the fact that they still saw fit to give him a third-team All-SEC nod, I mean, that gives you an idea. I mean, not to say that preseason lists like that are the end-all, be-all. I'm, I'm not trying to suggest that. But, you know, for a guy that is still a little bit of a projection because you only saw him at his best maybe for a small window a year ago, the fact that that was still good enough to get him a, an All-SEC nod from the coaches, to me, that's a pretty good little window into – what he might be able to do this year. I think that Jermaine is a, a dynamic player. It, the durability is the only question for me. Um, this is a guy that's been fragile so far. Uh, but when he's healthy, man, this guy can take the top off a of defense. Uh, tremendous talent, tr- uh, potential NFL player. Again, if, he's, if he takes care of his conditioning and, and can stay healthy, because um, when he's good, he's, he's great. And the good news is he's good right now. And Georgia will roll into that game with a healthy Jermaine, knock on wood, uh, watch out for cars on campus, uh, with a healthy Jermaine Burton at, at wide out. And that's, that's huge because I think the X is taken care of. Uh, it's unfortunate that they don't have Darnell Washington. Uh, he's obviously a difference maker. But to your point, B.A., I, I think Jermaine Burton, and I would agree with Connor as well, uh, I, I think Jermaine's going to need five catches, 70. He's going to need to be that guy. He's going to need to be that dude for Georgia to be at their best. Uh, Jeff, who's your name? I think I got a one-two punch. We named, we named him already before. I think it's you're going to have to see Kendall Milton have an incredible game. Georgia's going to have to run the ball. I think Zeus will give you – I think Zamir's going to give you 14 carries, 85 yards, maybe a touchdown or two. Um, I, I think Kendall needs to come. Like maybe Nick Chubb came when he was in his freshman year against Clemson, where he was kind of that second back, that second tier of the attack. I think the other guy, I think you need to have offensive and defensive, you know, sparklers for me. And the other guy, I think it's got to be Adam Anderson. I mean, Adam Anderson, if he's setting this goal, if he wants to have 20 sacks and folks, if he has 20 sacks, he's going to be a top five pick with all the athleticism he has right there. And he's the type of player that can have 20 sacks in a season. And that's what he's aiming for. Let's say he only gets to 15. Uh, in 15 games, folks, if that Adam Anderson shows up on the field, he will be the best player on the field on Saturday, that Saturday against Clemson. That's how good uh, Adam Anderson will be if he reaches that potential he's aiming for in 2021. So my defensive guy, like I'm, it, it's either Nicobe or Trayvon, but I believe I'm going to say Trayvon Walker. That's my because we haven't really mentioned a defensive guy in this conversation. I think Trayvon Walker has a big game. Now I'm tempted to say Nicobe Dean. Uh, but it would be Nicobe and Trayvon for me. But but if it's only going to be one, I got to say Trayvon Walker. I think that's got to be my guy. Connor, you're about to say something, and I cut you off. Yeah, I agree. I think I would lean Trayvon there. I'd go another Georgia running back. I'd go James Cook. Uh, he had 117 all-purpose yards last year against Alabama. He's a guy that we know can impact the passing game. I mean, sure, there are questions of how many times you can give him the ball up the middle. But I think if Georgia is, conv- is con- 
makes a committed effort to getting him the ball in creative ways, I absolutely think he can make up for some of the injuries that Georgia has as other skill position players. So that's a very interesting point, Mike. It leads me to want to ask you this, and you can give a short answer because we got to squeeze another topic here. At any point in time versus Clemson, is there a two running back set for Georgia that doesn't include James Cook? Are you following me on this? Two yeah, backs in the yeah, game, yeah. one of them is not Cook. Yeah, I think it's possible. I think I think Kenny McIntosh is interchangeable. I think he can play that role. I think he showed you that in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl with those three catches on the game-winning drive. So I think Kenny is also uh, comparable to Cook in his ability to run routes. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's possible if it's Kenny McIntosh and Zamir or Kendall. I mean, to me, I mean, this has been my, like, soapbox the whole week. I'm all about throwing not just to the – I mean, I would agree that McIntosh – is what I think of as a pretty capable receiver. And obviously James Cook has proven that. He was the uh, the ring back a year ago that obviously had the most catches. But I think really all of them, you know, they certainly, I think they all didn't. Didn't all four of those backs have at least four catches on G-Day? Am I making that up? Um, they were certainly, Kenny did not, but other than that, all three, the three that played did, yes. Okay, yeah. Um, they were certainly targeted, you know, a, a good bit that day. I'm just all about throwing to the backs. I'm all about having them on the field. You know, I, I'm doing a lot of high school football right now. And one thing every coach tells you is, because even like the big classifications, they're playing, you know, a lot of guys both ways. They're like, we just got to have our 11 best players in the field. And sometimes football is just that simple. Get your 11 best players in the field. And for Georgia, that includes running backs. And throw to them, line them up, run them, whatever else. But get those backs in the field. I think I just think you got to do that. What's it with that said, let's get another topic in here just for a moment. Um, so the camp portion of Georgia's summer is done. We're now in the practices that are actual preparation for Clemson, the game plan, things along those lines. What do we learn from these practices? I mean, a lot of Georgia fans said we learned not to click the headlines anymore because it's bad news one day after the next. And I understand that. But beyond the injuries and the disappointing stuff related to some other things there, Jeff, what do we learn from all of this? You know, from your perspective, what do you think? I think you've learned a lot about the offensive line pieces. I almost feel like I, I think you – well, at least you've learned about the pieces that are going to be on the board. I think uh, somehow everybody talks about, you know, there's a shroud of secrecy or there's a cloaking spell around Georgia's practices practices these days. I think most people that watch any of our programs, they can probably name uh, the starting five out of about seven names on the offensive line. You even hear – even here, you know, an, an uproar now, uh, Roderick Jones is working his way into the rotation. At least it, at least it was over the weekend. And, um, again, that, to me, that speaks to Georgia's going to be able to want to pass protect primarily, uh, try to really, you know, really think pass protector there a lot. If, if Broderick's in the, if Broderick's the starting, the starting offensive tackle at left tackle, that's a good thing for Georgia fans. There's no need to clutch any pearls about it. But I think it will also say a lot about the game plan. Mike, you're close to the scene there. What do you think? What have we learned? I think it's a really incredibly focused team. Uh, I think Kirby's really pushed these guys. Uh, you know, this was the hottest July on record in the history of the world. And uh, Athens seemed to be in the center of it on some of those days with the heat index over 100. And uh, really pushed these dogs hard. I think these skull sessions, uh, I think there was a lot to it. I think that was a brilliant move by Kirby. I think the players, knowing each other's why, everybody understands uh, you know, they, they have skin in the game. But to understand why, what drives you, uh, you know, we haven't seen any uh, negative headlines of Georgia players and any sort of off-field issues, haven't seen any of these unexcused absences, none of these uh, suspensions for disciplinary action. 
Um, typically in the off season, there's been a few, but, but not lately, these guys are pretty dialed in and, you know, in the KM squared show that, uh, that we had on dog nation on Sunday nights, I think you could really pick up a tone and a tenor from Kendall Milton and Kenny McIntosh. I mean, we didn't have to dive into deep details. You could tell uh, that one, the guys were exhausted, but two, there was just a certain esprit de corps uh, that I thought was unique and special. And I think Kirby Smart recognizes that. That's a that's an intangible. That's something, by the way, that the Clemson Tigers come to the table with every single year is intangibles and team unity. That's yeah. one of the greatest things Dabo does in building that dynasty that he's built in little old Clemson, as he calls it, with the largest attendance to town ratio in the country, something Clemson has every year. I think Georgia has taken a giant step. I think they have a lot of leaders within the team. And so the thing I've learned is that this unity and buy-in is at the highest level I've personally seen since 2018. Mike, uh, that's all fine and good. I'm actually somewhat impressed. Did you just speak French for a second there? Did you give me a esprit de corps? Um, that's yeah, a pretty yeah. fancy phrase. For, I mean, I typically think you're just kind of a lunch pail guy. You, know, you kind of show up. You do some hard hat type work on shows like this. And then late in the process here, you drop a uh, an esprit de corps. I mean, I'm not even sure I could spell that. Was it well, E-S-P-I-R-I-T-D-E-C-O-R-B? I can spell it. I lived it for three years. It was one of our – uh, 82nd Airborne sayings and, you know, thoughts to the troops there as they're sure. trying to help our country exit a, a horrible situation. We'll leave the politics out of it. Uh, the 82nd Airborne over there serving the country, risking their lives uh, for the Americans right now. But that was something that was big in the 82nd Airborne Corps was it was esprit de corps. And it was yeah. something that I learned early in life, uh, along with the you know motivational things like that. So I know I, I appreciate and understand the brotherhood, the willingness to sacrifice for one another and for the greater good of the team. That's good stuff, Mike. Uh, Connor, what did we learn? The tight end position is actually now very concerning to me. Uh, you know, obviously the Darnell Washington injury is what it is. John Fitzpatrick, by my accounts, did not play in that second scrimmage for Georgia, didn't play in the first one either. And while he may be able to play, it's a question of how much is he able to play. And I, I know we all here, like Brock Bowers, Mike, Jeff, and myself have all written glowing stories about Brock Bowers. It's a lot to expect him to go in and give you what potentially Fitzpatrick and Darnell Washington were giving you in that first game, certainly as a pass catcher, but I think even more so as a blocker. And as much as we've talked about Clemson's front tonight, he's going to be asked to stick his nose in there and help out on certain plays. And so uh, something that I thought was a real strength, especially when you look at past Clemson defenses in the 2019 national championship game, and then the loss to Ohio state a year ago, those two teams both used their tight ends to score multiple touchdowns. Thaddeus Moss had two touchdowns. Jeremy Ruckert had two touchdowns. Both of those were Clemson losses. So I, I think not having those guys out there, I don't know how much it impacts Georgia's ability to potentially lose the game, but I do think it makes it more difficult for Georgia to win the game without having such an obvious weapon in both Washington, certainly in Fitzpatrick there as well, a trusted pass catcher for JT Daniels and Todd Munkin. Let me just say this, too, and we'll get ready to take a couple of comments, get out of here after this. And I talk about this with my audience all the time, especially during these kind of late stages of the show, that we fixate someone like me who does Georgia show every day, the audience who are big Georgia fans. We fixate on tight end injuries and uncertainty of the offensive line and unproven secondary. We fixate on this kind of stuff. 
But if you go and watch places where Clemson fans congregate, there's no big show like this related to Clemson football, but message boards or even a team like Alabama that seems to stack national championships, it's not like their fans haven't had some concerns themselves so far over the course of the last couple of weeks that – that you could listen to, uh, oh, my gosh, John Fitzpatrick's hurt. You had that to uh, Darnell Washington. And, boy, it seems like the bad news starts to pile up. And I'm not trying to sugarcoat that. I'm just trying to say that if you were to go to a place where Clemson fans are congregated right now, some, you know, uh, uh, AOL, you know, chat room or something like that, whatever it is they're you know doing for their conversation. <laughs> chat Come on, man. Wow. Um, AOL. Like you got a Discord. Come on. A, a Discord <laughs> chat room. Sure. The point is, is they're worried about their team, too. I mean, listen, I, I gave you 20 minutes tonight about my concerns about Georgia for this game and my lack of complete confidence that Georgia's going to win. But, I, listen, I don't want to hear from a Clemson fan who's sure his team's going to win this game either because yeah, that's full of bluster. That's nothing, you know, that, that, that doesn't mean anything. Real hardcore plugged-in Clemson fans, they're worried about their team, too. That's just the way that it goes for these college football fans, Georgia, Clemson, whoever else, that are really plugged into what's going on, man. You're just eating a steady diet of this news, and it ain't all going to be good. I mean, I, I mean, we, you know, I, I know Mike touched on Clemson's wide receivers earlier tonight. I have some concerns. There, obviously, Justin Ross, his first game in over a year, coming off spinal surgery. I don't want to get hit by Lewisine if I've had that happen. I mean, I don't want to get hit by Lewisine in general. Right. <laughs> and, and and I believe Joe Nada as well. He's had a hamstring injury throughout fall camp, sort of casting doubt into what he might be able to do. Obviously, they have a lot of other talented guys there. Frank Lasden, EJ Williams. I, I mean, they have a deep room. One thing that I am interested in is how much is Will Shipley going to play and play a role in this yeah. game? Because, and I have mentioned before, you know, obviously the parallels to 2014. But Will Shipley, I think if I'm a Clemson fan, that's a guy who I want to see get the majority of touches for my running backs in that game. And, and I don't know if Dabo is going to do that and commit to that. Yeah, listen, if you want to see me projectile vomit all over the ground in Charlotte, just listen to a bunch of media stuff late next Saturday night of, oh, my gosh, where did Dabos, when he find this guy? The next, you know, Christian McCaffrey, blah, 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 blah. That is the last thing in the world I want to hear. Please let Georgia have that guy covered. And for heaven's sake, it better not be a wheel. <laughs> uh, just like, I don't ask for much in life. And I feel like I've tried to live a pretty good life. So hopefully maybe I got one big ask in me. Please let Georgia shut that guy down and not let this turn into something of, oh, where did Davos Randy find Will Shipley? I, I do not want to hear that. I, I have no interest in that whatsoever. Uh, any other comments? Um, uh, hey, Brent, by the way, I want to say something. I want to. I want to say something right here. I think. I think you know we're talking about storylines and we're going to scatter, smother, and cover those all next week. Obviously, we're going to talk that thing to death. But I think. I think it needs to be said that. Um, this is a game that all these players came to Georgia to play in. Oh, yeah. I mean, regardless of whether it sets up for the national schedule or it's uh, it's a trap or it's a minefield in terms of making the playoffs, this is a recruiting tool for Georgia, for players to know that they're going to come to Georgia and play in a big game like this, in a big game like this to open the season. The other thing that I'll point out, and these will maybe come out with the final box score next Saturday night, but – there are a lot of players on this team. I don't know if they're publicly admitted, but when you're a school like Georgia and you're a school like Clemson, um, these schools can pick and choose. And for a lot of these players on both sides, a Georgia player or a Clemson player tried to go up to Clemson or tried to go up to Georgia, but Georgia already had the guy that they wanted at their position and vice versa for Clemson. There's a little bit of, I'm going to show you what you missed out 
by not recruiting me and not putting me in your class or prioritizing me with both of those guys. I'm also going to shout out one of our viewers who I thought made a very good point when we were scrolling through who's the breakout stars. Um, I don't know what, how each of you guys feel, but what if Georgia puts 445 up on the Clemson Tigers uh, in Charlotte? Is Todd Munkin a breakout star of the Georgia football team after that? How much credit are you going to give the coaches, even though these players are the ones that play the games? I would build a, a statue for him, and I would have it ready by Monday morning. I have a question sort of tangentially related to that. So let's say it's a high-scoring game, and I don't think anyone here thinks it will be. Well, let's say it's you know, 41-38. I think it takes at least 30 to win, though, Connor. So you I, know, know it, that. I think it takes 30 to win. But, but finish your point. Finish um, your point. Let's say Georgia scores 35 points, 38 points, and they lose. Are you, B.A., the ultimate Georgia fan – you're not going to be happy, but can you at least live with that? It would certainly give me reason to believe the rest of the season has a chance to go well. That if Georgia shows some offensive credentials against a defense that's capable of getting some stops, I'm not going to tell you moral victory things like that because I wouldn't. I don't. I don't believe in that in that scenario. But it would provide some evidence that Georgia could have figured some things out mm. offensively. Because listen, we saw in 2015, 2016. I mean. Didn't Clemson and Alabama both get to the 40s in those championship games? Certainly the winner got to the 40s both those times. So, I mean, Clemson against good teams played high-scoring games before. Now, this is a little bit different kind of situation all the way around here. But if Georgia scores some points and loses, I'm not telling you that's a moral victory, but I am telling you that's the kind of thing you can take with you. That's, mm-hmm. that's a movable feast. Um, is that's that something by by Tuesday, by Wednesday, you're, you're really touting and talking about on Dog Nation Daily. Yeah, I mean, touting may be a strong word, but certainly, uh, you know, putting a little hope and uh, comfort in. Um, Marshall Fleming says, no way, B.A. Clemson's not good enough to score more than 21 points. Mike, go ahead. So my question is for you three guys to put a percentage on the rumor that Georgia goes color rush with all red uniforms. They ain't doing that. You know, the guy that, that the guy that came up with that rumor said he create he made it up just to sort of see what the reaction would be. So you don't you don't think there's any chance that they're going to come out in a, in a completely red uniform in a, no. a red tops and red bottoms? I do not. Well, I, I mean Clemson definitely won't do it because Dabo. That, you know, I think Dabo's rule is it's he's got some weird rule. It's like. They only wear orange pants for playoff games or they only wear purple for like military appreciation. Like Dabo's got like a bunch of rules. I mean, no surprise here. Dabo's got a bunch of rules related to um, to uniforms. So believe it or not, Georgia might be the most likely team to wear the crazy uniform because I don't think Clemson and Dabo are going to do it. But yeah, I the guy tweeted back and forth with me a little bit. He was just trying to get people uh, stirred up. Now, so what are they going to wear? What's what's the what's the popular pick here? Who's the home team? I'm not even sure. I, I haven't found that out either yet. I mean, I, 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 should... go, go ahead, ahead No, no, I, no. I, sorry, please. I think Georgia <laughs> should come out in the black jerseys. I want to see how long they can stretch out JT Daniels not wearing a red Georgia jersey, something he has not done yet. He has not played in a game and worn a red Georgia jersey. So I want to see how long they can stretch it out. And because of that, I want to see them come out in the black jersey. And I just think the black jerseys look cooler. And I think in a neutral game, I think that added a certain element to it. Well, I saw a recruit picture of the day he was wearing a black jersey that didn't have that, you know, forsaken dog collar on it, which I kind of liked. Um, so Forsaken. Forsaken dog <laughs> So, yeah, there, there you go on that. Um, all right, we got to go. Uh, but, Mike, I, I'll tell you this, and I'm like as traditionalist as they come. Uh, Green Soldier a moment ago told me that I make him feel young. But um, I don't hate the all red. I, and I told uh, – uh, what's his name uh, that, that did the uh, 
the the uniforms. <laughs> I, I told them I thought they looked awesome. Like I, I didn't think the all red looked that bad. I um I I thought they actually looked pretty good. So I don't think they're going to wear them. But when I saw the graphic and even going back and look at uh, Dion Bowie the other day with his all red jersey on uniform on for his recruit picture. I don't think the all red looks that bad, but I just don't think George's going to wear them. Did you like the Kirby Smart red top black pants that he wore during his career? No, I did not. Um, I, I didn't. There was a lot of alternate stuff back then that was – but, yeah, that was the 98 Florida game. Bill Goldberg led him on the field, and uh, Florida rushed him back in the locker room. That was not a um, That was not a good situation. Now, Brandon, I know you're going to hate for me to say this because you're such a staunch traditionalist, but uh, <laughs> Georgia has a history of wearing those red pants when they faced Clemson before. That's you fair. You go back, you know, in the 80s, uh, some of those brutal games where Clemson found a kicker and not a guy with a wheel route to beat Georgia from like 83, 84, 85, 86. Georgia was wearing the red pants in several of those games. So fair. it wouldn't be it wouldn't be out of out of historical context to see Georgia wear the red pants against Clemson because that's something the dogs did a long time ago under Coach Dooley. Uh Baggin and Friends doesn't like the all red, but uh but Tristan West says he does. The problem I have with the red pants is I'm like a geek when it comes to uniforms. The white stripe is too wide. I, if the red pants had the same stripes the other uniform pants like the silver britches have, that'd be fire if the if I'm even allowed to say Fire. that, Fire. <laughs> if I'm even allowed to say that, but um, but uh, the uh, the the w- big white wall, white stripe that goes down the side of those red pants they wore for Arkansas last year, I have to give that a thumbs down. All right, we got to go. This is uh, going off the rails here pretty quick. Yeah, fashion hour <laughs> for sure. Um, <laughs> Raymond Fossaway says I'm still mad they're not wearing leather helmets. Yeah, I'm I'm almost that much of a traditionalist for sure. All right, we got to go. Uh, good stuff. Hey, Brandon, oh, Michael Michael Brandon, Ross also says Brandon, we don't need to wear black jerseys in 90-degree heat. Brandon, can you give the people what they want? Can you give them that dead gum Dabo Sweeney found another guy with the, re- with the, with the wheel route? Can you give them that one more time, man? That, uh, yeah, sure, sure. You have to. You may have to come tomorrow. back at 10 a.m. for that tomorrow or uh, check me out on uh, Friday night, tomorrow night from uh, Petri TV as we get ready to watch North Atlanta and Theral. It's going to be a really fun game in the – uh, you know, beautiful, beautiful uh, Henderson Stadium right there in the shadow of Piedmont Park. That's going to be a great time. Paul Moon saying good night. I'll say good night there as well. Anybody got anything they want to say before we go? Connor, you got something you want to say? I don't know. I was just saying, let's, let, you know, peace out. Great show. All right. Uh, Mike, we'll look forward to reading you at dognation.com. Connor, you as well. Jeff will be with me tomorrow morning on Dog Nation Daily there too. We'll get an update on UGA recruiting with him. Good comments, good times. And we're getting closer to Georgia Clemson. Y'all, it's going to be fun. Uh, Jacob O'Neill says he'll be watching tomorrow. I appreciate that. Thanks so much. And we'll see you then. And back here again next Thursday as well for Cover 4 Live. We'll talk to you soon. I found a word. I found a word, bro.